Welcome to the Freedom Slay podcast, where fempreneurs, side hustlers, entrepreneurs, and other passionate peeps come to fast track their success. If you're trying to make boss moves, hit that subscribe button so you don't miss out on any of the goods, because every week you're going to get the tools that you need to slay your business goals, to create a life of time and financial freedom, all while doing the things that you love. So basically, it's like a mashup of Beyonce's songs, Mood Forever, Bigger, and I was here meeting Bon Jovi's It's My Life and Frank Sinatra's My Way, just in podcast form, because you'll be living life on your terms, making an impact, and bank, honey. I'm Genete Jones, your host and freedom slayer in charge here. Let's begin. Welcome or welcome back to the Freedom Slay podcast. Now, if you're an entrepreneur, you likely wear other hats as well, whether the hat's mom or maybe you're a full-time employer, you have a full-time employment elsewhere, or maybe you're a sister or aunt or uncle or whatever, you wear other hats, right? And you may oftentimes feel like you're doing a whole lot of things and not sure quite how to juggle them all. Well, in this episode, we're going to talk to someone who is a multifaceted entrepreneur. So aside from wearing multiple hats himself, he also has multiple businesses and projects and ventures that he's working on. And we're going to talk about just how he does all of that. And the person I'm speaking about is Cordell Robinson. And we're going to get into how he does it all, as well as dive into specifically how he created his new foundation. So he has a nonprofit that he's got. We're going to dive into it more in the episode, as you'll hear. But we're going to be talking about exactly how he created this foundation. What was the first steps to do something like this, to really make real change? He's building in in Tanzania. So we really wanted to dive into this in this episode. So you'll hear that. But just to give you an overall idea of who this man is. So aside from Cordell being the COO of Shaping Futures Foundation, which is the foundation we're going to be talking about, he's also a culinary architect. He cooks for celebrities. He also cooks for major corporations. Aside from that, he's a cybersecurity expert in compliance, governance, and regulations. He earned his bachelor's in computer science and electrical engineering. And he also heads his JD. So our boy is a doctor of law, okay? So he has all of this going on. He's also a Navy vet, and he's served as a senior intelligence analyst during his military service. So he's done so many things, like so many things. And I mentioned already that he's a culinary chef, right? Like he's cooked for like Aston Martin, uh, Martin and Bentley and Dulce and Gabbana. Like he's done so many things and different heads of state. So we're going to dive exactly into how he has managed to do all this, how he's been able to separate it in his mind and in real life, and just how he goes about doing this. And like I said, specifically diving into the foundation piece, because I believe as entrepreneurs, a lot of us have a bigger why and it's a bigger cause behind that, which makes many go ahead and want to create a nonprofit. And he's going to share exactly how he's been able to do this, as well as raising funds in order to support it. So that's all I'm going to say for now. I've said a whole lot, but let's dive into this episode with Cordell Robinson. Hello, hello, Cordell. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. How are you? I'm excited to have you on the episode today. That's for sure. Thank you. I'm (laughs) glad to be here. And I've shared a bit about who you are in the intro of the episode and all of that. But I mean, you do a whole lot. And I really want to figure out how did you turn into this multifaceted entrepreneur that we know today? 
it's kind of a long story, I guess, or not really. So like <laughs> I have always been a like career obsessed, hard worker, want to like do a lot of different things. And so I even started as a child. As a child, I would do a lot of different things. And even like my parents would say, like, you're doing so much, you're doing too much. And I always would say, well, you only live on this earth once. And so try to do as much as possible within your means. So within like whatever your abilities are. And I like to push the envelope. So what I do is as I get to stages and levels, I push the envelope and add another layer. Listen, I'm team too much. So I enjoy that. (laughs) I could definitely appreciate that. I know you studied initially like computers, was it computer science as well as like engineering? Like what made you choose that route? And then you got the JD, like what were you thinking in those stages? Like where did you think your career path was going at that point? So I wasn't sure. So when I was in graduating high school, like was in high school, I wanted to be a lawyer. And then as I was graduating high school, I was, you know, doing pretty well with uh, math and sciences. So I was like, well, let me study computer science and electrical engineering because it sounded very fascinating to me. So I studied that, did well, went to Pepperdine University. And then when I left there, I needed to pay for school. So I joined the U.S. Navy. And so U.S. Navy, I did military intelligence, which was, you know, part of my degrees helped technically because of the technical side of it, even though intelligence is like very different. But it helped with that aspect. So I had a great time in the Navy. I traveled the world. I got to see so many wonderful things. And so after that, I'm like, well, what am I going to do next? And so the next step was, well, figure out like a career path. So I end up getting a job as a software engineer at the Department of the Army under AT&T. And while I was there, I was like, I like this engineering thing, but I still have this inkling for law. So let me just go like apply to law school and see like how it fares out. So I applied to several law schools, got into Georgetown Law, went to Georgetown Law. And when I graduated, I was like, okay, this is cool. And I started working for a law firm. And after like a few months, I'm like, "Mm, I don't think this is for me, but what can I do? Because I don't want to waste time or money. What can I do with this JD and with my technical degrees and kind of marry them together to create something? So cybersecurity was becoming a big thing or not big thing, but it was becoming a thing at the time as, you know, we got PCs became in the play. Google was fresh and new from the late nineties. So like cybersecurity was like next on the forefront. So I was like, well, there's a legal aspect to cybersecurity and a technical aspect. I can utilize both of my skills and it'll help me advance in the world. So I worked for a few companies. And after I worked for uh, one company when I was working under at the Department of Commerce for the Office of the Secretary of Commerce, as I was working there, I did help do business development. And so I was like, well, I just made this company all this money and didn't get a kickback. I might as well start my own company. So that's what I did. So I started my own cybersecurity firm. And so the services that I offer was cyber with the legal aspect to it as well. So I can give the legal advice. So that's like, I guess, one pathway of what I was working on. At the same time, simultaneously, the whole time on the side, I was cooking. So I've been cooking since I was seven years old. I always would have big parties and I was cooked for different people. I cooked all over the world. So I was always doing that, but I didn't really have like the connections or the means to really like get myself out there and also to continue my current lifestyle. So I was like, I'm not going to go backwards. So how can I marry that? So I began to just add cooking more in the forefront and balance the two. 
And as I began to balance the two, I began to become more and more successful. And then at that point, it was time for the philanthropic side of me. So I've always been philanthropic as well. That's another part. Even as a child, I would always like with my allowance, I would like donate or I would like pay for another kid in the neighborhood's uh, haircut with my allowance. I just always, you know, wanted to help people. So once I got the means, I said, well, I'm going to start my foundation. And I knew it would be very, very difficult and it's still very difficult, but it's very rewarding because I know that I'm doing something to help reshape and change the world in my own little way, which is always helpful because I think we should all do our part, especially like if you work hard, you become successful. Why not pay it forward? I think that's just the right thing to do. The philanthropic side just kind of organically began to come into play with that. And then now it's like I have these three major hats that I wear. And so I just each day figure out how to balance it. And the best way is I don't think about it. I just do it. So, because if I think about everything that I have to do for the day, I would never get it done. But if I just like go down my task list, then at the end of the day, I've completed all of it or at least most of it. Okay. That makes a whole lot of sense. Because like you started touching on like two of the questions I had come in and that was, well, the first one you just touched on where you're like, I don't think about you know, segment and thing. It's just, what do I have to do? Because I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, okay, maybe bad you know, doctor of law, you have this cybersecurity business, you're a chef, you're doing so many things. And I'm like, how does he juggle it all? So that makes a lot of sense. And what I also appreciate is that you are living proof that you don't have to just focus on one passion or utilize one skill set. Like you're saying, listen, this is what I've been dealt. This is what I've done myself. This is what I can do. This is what I like to do. I'm marrying them all together and figuring out a way to move forward. Like, were you ever challenged or fearful that you'd have to pick one or like, how do you deal with that? We'll be back after a quick break. Money is all around us, and we think about it more than almost every other aspect of our lives. But how can we make more of it, and what's our drive for building wealth beyond just the numbers in our bank account? Join us on the Make More podcast as our host, Matt Heslin, brings to you a dynamic lineup of experts in the world of investing, business, health, and beyond. Together, they unpack the secrets to not just surviving, but thriving in today's economy. It's about more than just wealth. It's about crafting life experiences, seizing opportunities, and building a legacy. Subscribe now to the Make More with Matt Heslin podcast and join us every week for new expert insights and inspiration. Yeah, I have my days because I'm human. So I have my days where I feel that I'm going to have to pick one of these because I can't sustain all of it. It's just too much. I have those days where I get overwhelmed. I feel exhausted, you know, because I'm human. But I kind of sometimes I just take the day and do absolutely nothing at all. Or I'll take the day and I'll spend like an entire day in the kitchen, just like creating stuff and escape to that. And by the end of the day, now I'm regenerated to tackle my other two duties or vice versa. I spend the day like putting together emails and campaigns and researching the next things for my foundation. And that has absorbed my time and my energy in where that the other things, the stress of those have gone away. So then I jump back in it and it's organic and it keeps going. Or even with cyber, I may have deliverables too. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to pause on that, focus on these deliverables, give a good product, you know, quality service, 
and then it works out the way then I can jump back because I know I have deadlines with things. I know I have obligations with things, but also have learned time management. Um, and also not a sleeper. I don't sleep that much. I have insomnia, so that helps. <laughs> but being able to like balance it that way, and then it helps with the stress. So I use one thing to alleviate the stress of another thing, which sounds kind of crazy, but for me, it works and it kind of helps me compartmentalize my life. I mean, it makes sense, right? Especially for you, if cooking is something that is relaxing or something that almost meditative because it's something you're passionate and you've been doing for so long, you can do it naturally. So it makes a lot of sense. I think a lot of times we may overthink it and think, okay, well, I have to spend the first four hours working on this and then the next four hours working on this. And you're like, uh uh. I do what needs to be done. It could be all of them mixed together. And if I need a break, I'm going to take my time, maybe a whole day and then regroup and come back. So I love that we were talking, like you were able to share that because I think a lot of us from the outside looking in are like, how do you balance? But then the truth is, is there even such a thing, right? Right. As the balance. I want to get into your foundation because that's exciting too. So you have Shape and Future Foundation. I want to know all about it, how it started, why you're doing it, like when it started, all the things. (laughs) Yes. So back in early 2018, a really good friend of mine, uh, Fortuna Dem, she has been going back and forth to Zanzibar like quite a bit. And so she came to my house for dinner and we were talking and I've been doing some philanthropic stuff anyway. So like donating to different things. And so she was like, well, they need some help in Tanzania and Zanzibar. Why don't you think about doing some research and see what you can do to help? So I said, okay, I'll look into it. So I started reading, doing research, making phone calls. I connected with an orphanage over there called Malika Kids. And I really got excited. And if something gets me excited, then I'm going to go all in. So I got excited because I saw that there was a gap that could be filled that would really help. I officially started my foundation in 2018. And then I took my first inaugural trip to Africa a year later. I went to Tanzania and I went to Zanzibar, which is an island off the coast of Tanzania. It's a part of Tanzania, but it's its own separate country. It's kind of weird. It's like an autonomous Mm -hmm. region. And so I went there. I met with the president of Zanzibar, met the different kids at different orphanages, at different schools. I was able to see the landscape. I was able to see the beauty of it. And so I was like, oh, this is like, I can really do something really great here. So what I started doing was I started small, like the pandemic hit. How do we shift from there? So when the pandemic hit, actually during the pandemic, I traveled to Africa, which was very different because everything was so restrictive, but I couldn't do too much because of it was hard to ship things back and forth. It was just very difficult. So I kind of shifted my focus for my foundation and said, we got to continue showing that we're doing something. So I live in DC. So Howard University, I know that there were so many COVID patients coming through the different hospitals. And so I noticed that some of the hospitals in the more affluent areas were getting donations of food from like and pizza or Subway or something like that would like donate food to feed the caregivers. And I was like, well, why isn't like a, a hospital like Howard University Hospital getting the same treatment? You know, that's not fair. So I'm getting annoyed just listening to that. I'm like, why yeah. they don't get the pizza? <laughs> right. So the first time I ordered pizza for the entire staff at Howard University Hospital so they can have lunch. And then about a month later, I ordered Tropical Smoothie Cafe, which was smoothies and sandwiches for the entire staff at Howard University because I wanted to like 
do something while we were in pandemic mode, right? And also I wanted to fill in that void because I kept seeing, like I would read articles literally like in Washington Post of like, okay, this hospital, I'm not gonna name the hospitals, but this hospital, oh, they got donated these food, they fed them lunch and this one. And I'm like, geographically looking at where they are and I'm like, hmm, and also looking at the type of people that go to these hospitals, I'm like, okay, I see a pattern here. So let me kind of break that cycle and do my thing. And so that was like very important for me to do because I source my food directly from farmers. I'll always have extra. So I donated a lot of meat to veteran women that uh, were, you know, just leaving the service and, you know, trying to get all set up. So I donated a lot of meat there. Also donated a lot of meat to, it was a organization that closed ever since, but it's for gay and lesbian youth. So I donated a lot of food there as well during the pandemic because it was just hard to get things around. So I was like, let me do that. And then I will go full speed ahead with the all my stuff in Africa in a, you know, a little bit later, which was a few months. So then I started to figure out, okay, what am I going to do? Because at first my vision, and it's still my vision, was to figure out a niche way to help academically the schools on getting the curriculum where they're learning their native language and English and they're learning skills and not like, you know, how most schools, you go to school, you graduate, even sometimes you go to college, you graduate, and then you're like, okay, I have to find a job. Well, you don't really have a skill, Mm -hmm. which doesn't make sense. And that's the big problem here in America, actually, too, is like a lot of these people, they graduate from college, they have a degree, but they don't actually have a skill or work experience that's required to even get the entry level job. And like, doesn't make any sense. So I said, well, I would like to build a school or like a technical training center where it's a high school slash you would learn a skill set. Like you would learn how to do welding. You would learn electrical. You would learn plumbing. You would learn fishing and how to fix boats, uh, big ships and stuff for fisheries, like learn those skills. So like once they graduate, they can actually get a job because while they're in school, they're going to learn their academics, they're going to learn their skill set and get set up with internships to get that real world experience so they can come out, have a job and help sustain their one themselves and their families and have some income coming in instead of it being like, okay, I'm done with high school. Now I'm going to go to college if I can afford it, right? Because, you know, a lot of people that can't afford it. Okay. And then after that, then what am I going to do? Am I going to get a, a living wage job? And what is that going to be? So I was like, well, let me fill that void and provide something that's a little bit different. I would like to expand that down the line because my vision goes like years and years down the line to expand that vision globally. I know there's programs out there that's similar like that already, but not exactly to my vision where it's like directly learning skill sets so that if you want to, you can go and work, or if not, you can still go to college and you still have that skill set and you can use that as a side gig. Because nowadays everybody has two, three, four jobs just because people are doing many different things that they love. So it's just kind of my way of like kind of opening those doors. Mm-hmm. That's such a great initiative. And especially when you're looking at, I was reading through the doc and everything where it's a lot of orphans there, right? So many of them aren't going to have the opportunity to go to college because they just don't have that parental support or foundation where they're like, oh, I'll give this to you. And, you know, here's how you get there. I love that piece of it all. And I mean, at the very beginning, like rewinding a bit, you were like, yeah, we ran and spoke with 
the president of Tanzania, like it was like Joe Blow <laughs> at the pizza party, Potter. Like, so how did that happen? Like, how did you even get that connection? Like, was it your friend who was introducing you to what's happening in Tanzania? Like, how did all that happen where you got the connections before you went there to meet? It was actually very organic. So while we were in Zanzibar, we took a boat ride over to this island. It's called Slave Island, even though that's not where slaves were sold from. They were actually sold from the bigger island, but they call it Slave Island because I think that's where they did the transactions. I'm not sure. So we went there and there's these gigantic sea turtles. So we went there. Well, when we came back, we were set to meet the health minister of Zanzibar. We stopped at the Park Hyatt Hotel to have lunch and meet and talk with him. And he was like, oh, well, by the way, the president is sitting right over there and he wants to come. And what are the odds? Oh my right. goodness. <laughs> so I was like, really? That's how you know you're on the right path, man. Like everything's lining up. <laughs> exactly. So he came over, he said, my name is Winnie. He's like, I have a meeting to go to, but I'll be back. Do not go anywhere. I'll be back. And so, you know, a lot of times when someone says something like that, especially someone at that level, it's almost like, okay, they're just saying that, but they're not going to come back. But we sat there for about two hours talking with the health minister and he came back and he sat down and we sat at the table and we started talking about my initiative. So it was great. And it's in line. What was so interesting, it was, it was in line with what he wants to do for his country, for the infrastructure and for creating jobs and things like that. It's in line with what my foundation wants to do on the philanthropic side. And then there's a business aspect to it, which is fisheries and renewable energy. So it's like all the universe was aligning, which was wonderful. Yeah, that's dope. So everything was all aligned at that one time. Like imagine if the boat was laid or if anything could have happened where you wouldn't have been at the same place at the same time, you know, right. but it worked in a way where you were all there. And in addition to that, your visions aligned. So I love that. And so many entrepreneurs, like they have an idea of creating change and, you know, philanthropic visions for themselves, but they usually stop because it seems too daunting of a task. Mm -hmm. So I know you visited Africa, like you went there, you went to Tanzania, you went to Zanzibar, like you went to those places, but like on a practical side, like what was the step one? Like, was it filing an LLC? Like, what did that look like for the person who's like, I want to build a foundation to help with XYZ, but I just don't know where to begin. What does that look like? So yeah, step one is starting a 501c3. So you have to go and fill out, you know, you go online, you fill out all the paperwork, you file it, you get back your, all your documents. And then that's just the first step, but you're still not an official 501c3 until you file with the IRS to get an official 501c3 letter. So then you have to go through that process. Then there's like a whole packet of like, documents that you have to fill out and verifications and all that. And you have to send that in, wait to get that back. So I can see how it can be extremely daunting and it can turn people off and be very intimidating because, especially with entrepreneurs, because you're so busy doing other things, trying to find time to do that and do that right is just a lot. So I just did it. I mean, and I think fortunately because of the pandemic, I had time to continue following the rest of that paperwork because I had started it, but then I was able to follow paperwork because then I had that time because everything slowed down, but mm -hmm. it is a lot. And I can see how people can be turned off from it or just don't want to deal with it because it, it is a lot. And then that's just the beginning. Then you face the challenges of being a new foundation or new 501c3 where no one's taking you seriously. I mean, I called the UN and I called UNICEF, you know, and talked to them about my initiatives and so many doors 
were basically closed in my face. And so there were moments I'm like, should I be doing this? Like, this is absolutely ridiculous because it's like, I can't get anywhere. No one wants to take me seriously. If I'm not a household name, you know, I'm not a big celebrity that's out there, then no one wants to take me seriously. This is like really tough. But I guess my drive, I'm like, I'm just going to keep pushing and pushing and pushing and things will come into play and I'm still going to have hurdles, but I'm just going to keep pushing and things will start to come together. So during that time, things began to come together on the cooking side as a chef. And so I was like, hmm, I can utilize my notoriety as a chef and tie that in with the philanthropic side. So I was like, how can mm-hmm. I do that? Smart. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, okay, how do I do this and make this organic? And I don't, you know, seem desperate and I know what I'm talking about. So I started like cooking. Or they think you're pulling a jar rule and having like this fire festival. And they're like, yeah, is he really in Tanzania? What's he doing? Right. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So I had the video to show people, but then I started to put myself in situations. I started, you know, cooking for different celebrities and different major brands. And so with that, I began to speak about, but not just like push it in anyone's face, but kind of like speak about, oh yeah, you know, by the way, I have a foundation and I'm doing this and just kind of, kind of gloss over it. But I know people, a lot of times people are listening and it's in their head. Once you plant the seed, I just keep going with the conversation because I feel that then that way it'll come back up again. And then that's when it's time to like really jump into it. So I started Mm -hmm. to, I recently started to cook for Aston Martin Bentley. I'm going to do, do their events. And so that was like the perfect opportunity to immerse myself with people of high net worth that can donate large sums of money to my foundation to understand and get my vision. And also I've earned my way and my place into those circles because of what I do and when what I've accomplished, not just as a chef, but what I've accomplished in cyber um, and what I've accomplished so thus far with the foundation, which is quite a bit. So. No, that makes perfect sense. And being able to marry the two things together, which then when you look back, you're like, okay, that's why I started taking the cooking piece seriously. You know, you see how it can all work. And like, even when you were talking about the forms, I know that can turn so many people away because I feel like government forms are created (laughs) with the intention to make people stop and never file them or send them in because that gives them less work, right? right? They're just so complicated all the time. So I love that you shared that bit because- it is about continuing on. And luckily for you, it was during the pandemic when you had that time to really figure it out and take your time with it and continue to file. So I love hearing that piece because a lot of times we see the person and we see what they're doing, but we don't know the behind the scenes. And I think that's important for people to listen to because they may be in a position where they're struggling and like, oh my goodness, more forms or I got another door closed in my face and all of these things. And when they hear it from someone else, they're like, okay, so this is part of the journey, you know? Right. So I love that you shared that. And those doors closing, it's so frustrating because you're like, okay, you know, it's a new foundation. If anything, you would think that you'd need the support more than these bigger names and these bigger charities. And you're like, why aren't you paying attention to me? But they're like, you haven't proved yourself yet, or we don't know who you are. So it's frustrating. But the fact that you have the tenacity to keep going is pretty dope. So I love that. And I know you're now in like the fundraising piece, prepping for the gala in March. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Yes. So I am super excited about the gala in March. So because I want to 
began to make my impact much larger. It was time to have a gala. And since I'm now affiliated with Aston Martin Bentley Exclusive Automotive Group in DC, I'm able to utilize their space, which is beautiful. It's like a 40 or 50,000 square foot space. It's absolutely beautiful, you know, amazing like vehicles, the way it's set up. It's almost like you're in someone's home that has a beautiful car collection. So I'm like, okay, I can do this gala. So how am I going to make this gala something that's over the top and extraordinary and beautiful that people will want to bring out those checkbooks. So over the years. Important um, piece, right? Like you can come here and enjoy the food, but I also need you to spend some money. (laughs) Exactly. So over the years, and a lot of my friends didn't understand the method to my madness. So over the years, I'm a shopaholic. So over the years, I've been shopping. You named the high-end brand. I've I've shopped there and spent some money. So (laughs) it was time to call in favors. So I sat on the phone one day and I called them all Gucci, Prada, YSL, Tom Ford, Givenchy, Celine, Hermes, Goryard, like I call, I was calling every single one of them. And I was like, I would call them. Hey, how are you doing? This is Cordell. They all know me. And I was like, I'm having a gala and I need you to donate a piece from one of your collections, a rare piece as an auction item for my gala. Love that. Oh my goodness. You're like a, you're just like a brilliant genius. Like <laughs> you realize that all these things, you're like, listen, I'm spent coin on you. It's time for you to give up a little bit of something. <laughs> yes. Yes. So yes. Cause I never call in favor. So it was like, you know what? This I'm going to, I'm going to call this in because I'm like, I've spent so much money. Also, it's a good cause. It's great for all their brands. So why not? I've been shopping with them for so many years. I still do. I'm in New York right now. Just the other day, I went to different stores and I like go up Madison Avenue. I know like everyone on Madison Avenue. I don't even live here. It's like really crazy, but it's like, I'm like, let me use that because then also it shows the seriousness of my foundation because once people that, you know, that are on invite list, see the list of auction items from these high-end fashion houses, they're going to be like, this is the real deal. Because it is the real deal. And for my foundation to be such a young foundation to be able to pull this off, I don't even know how. <laughs> I, just, I just picked up the phone and just making calls. I was hoping for the best and everything begins to just uh, come together. No, that's so brilliant. And a lot of people are afraid to do that. Like they mm-hmm. feel like they aren't worthy sometimes to, you know, call in that favor. But you did two things that were really smart from the very jump. And it's a, an important lesson for those of you listening, like as far as it comes to networking and building relationships and just doing business with whether it's a company or individual, the first piece was that Cordell built that relationship, right? Built that foundation. Like it's not coming in and calling in favors from the very beginning, like, hey, you, um, I went to your store once, you probably don't know me, but give me money. You know, it wasn't that. So I love that you built that foundation. And then the other piece is that it was a win-win. So it's like, yeah, you're helping me. But at the same time, this is going to look good for your brand. You can put it in your newsletter. You can, you know, put out a press release and let people know you've donated to this like important cause. So it looks good for both sides. And that's important. I remember watching a Jay-Z interview. All of my references always come back to like a Jay-Z verse or something. But I remember seeing a Jay-Z interview and they had asked him about how he's been able to move basically from the corner street to the corner office mm-hmm. and he's like i always try to ensure at the end of it the deal like it's a win-win for both sides so i love that you had that piece of it as well 
So where can people like learn more about you, learn more about the gala coming up? And it's funny because you're saying gala. I've heard gala. I've heard gala. I'm like, listen, <laughs> is it a different same. language? Like, what? <laughs> I know. Listen, it's I'm from Bermuda, so I'm like, listen, I just blame it on being from Bermuda. I say go. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, it's, it's the same word. People currently, they can go to my website, www.shapingff.org to see what we've done so far and also donate if they would like to donate. And then people can go to my Instagram, Cordell La Culinary Diva, all one word to see my, like some of my latest Instagram posts. I haven't posted like really posted, posted like food, like in a little bit, but I'm going to start when I get back home, but they can see like some of my food things in my travels from food. And then there will be a, just a one, like a web page coming out specifically for the gala that I'll be releasing. And I'll have a press release for it that people can go in and they can read more about the gala and they can request the invite. It's going to be very, like, I think just only a hundred people. So it's going to be very limited because I want it to be like all heavy hitters because I need to raise this money because I can't have someone in the room you know what I'm saying? I need this money. It's invite only, okay? Right. But listen, I'm looking at your Instagram right now and I'm like, man, like this is <laughs> like this food. You're making me hungry. <laughs> okay, hold on. Let me just make sure I'm following. <laughs> but I, yeah, I love this. Like you're, well, obviously you're the real deal. I knew you were the real deal before I spoke to you, but looking at it, I'm like, man, like I feel like I need to step my culinary game <laughs> up and I'm not even doing anything seriously. <laughs> So I love that. I love all that you're doing. I love the messaging behind it. And just what you've taught on this episode alone, the tenacity, the ability to go after multiple passions at once, the ability to take and look at things outside of yourself and your business and seeing how you could change the world in small ways and big ways, what you're doing around you, right? And then utilizing your connections, utilizing your skill set, utilizing the things you already have in your tool set to do something bigger and marry them together. So I love all the things you've taught. And just through this conversation, it's just many lessons that you've taught. So thank you for that. Thank you. And it's one question I absolutely love to ask at the end of every episode. And that is, what does freedom mean to you? Freedom means to me the ability to do what you love to do and to not have any worries when you are doing whatever that passion is. Meaning that not having any worries that something bad's gonna happen, but not having any worries of any outside interferences that need to mind their business. And you could just be you, do you, and actually enjoy your time on this earth. Love that. Absolutely love that. Thank you so much for hopping on. Thank you so much for sharing. Is there anything else you wanted to share with the audience before we hop off? Just one last thing. Please make sure that you go to my Shaping Futures Foundation webpage. And also, I am going back to Tanzania in December. So there'll be more to come from that. Um, Another video will be released from that. So please do that. And of course, follow my Instagram and you'll see more of that. So I'm going to be super busy this week all over Fashion Week. But follow me, um, see my journey and what I'm doing. There's a lot of hard work going on in the background. And if you'd like to volunteer and help, also reach out as well. You can always DM me on Instagram. And that's that's love that. And I'll be sharing all the links to everything you said in the show notes and everything as well. But you said something about Fashion Week. So I lied. That was in my final question. What's happening at Fashion Week? What are you doing there? I have like eight shows to go to. 
because I love fashion. What a difficult life. Oh, my <laughs> goodness. I'm jealous right now. Is that why you're in New York? Yes. Well, I was here for the U.S. Open. And I'm okay, you. we're done. We're, we're, <laughs> so, I'm, I'm jealous right now. Did you see Serena's last one or I, did you come after? I came after. I did see Coco um, mm. the other day, but no, I came after. But I've seen her five times before, so I've seen a lot of Serena. You know what? <laughs> you know what? <laughs> He saw a lot of Serena. Okay, I'm done. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm jealous right now. New York Fashion Week, Serena, Darkholes with Gucci, meetings with Tanzania president, like living your best life. And I'm here for it. Seriously. Thank you, Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you so much for hopping on. Thank you. Have a great day. No, I really love episodes like this because they go beyond just like teaching lesson where it's like, these are the five steps to do this. And you really get to hear someone's story and through their story, you learn so many lessons. So in this, like I had mentioned, when Cordell was on here, we learned so many things. You learned what's the first step to do when you are filing for a foundation, right? You want to create that nonprofit, but you also learned how someone with so many hats, is able to shuffle and change and just juggle it all. So I'm really hoping that you loved this episode as much as I did. If you did, make sure you take a screenshot and tag me over on Instagram. I'm at Gainete. As you know, that's G-A-Y-N-E-T-E. And Cordell, you can find him at Cordell, the Culinary Diva. So that's C-O-R-D-E-L-L, the Culinary Diva, D-I-V-A. So that's his Instagram. And of course, like I mentioned, I'm going to take and well, link, I should say, to everything we talked about in the episode, including the website shapingff.org, right? So I want you for sure to check it out. I want you to follow his Instagram so that you are just along on the journey and seeing how he's building this massive nonprofit. And I'm saying massive, I'm speaking it into existence because I know that's what it's going to be just from seeing how this foundation's being laid. So Shaping Futures Foundation. So you're going shapingff.org on the website, as well as make sure you're following his journey at Cordell, the Culinary Diva. Thank you so much for tuning in and we will chat next time. Bye-bye. Okay, okay, I see you, Freedom Slayer. You stayed through to the end, which tells me that you likely enjoyed this episode. Listen, if you haven't already, do your sister a favor by heading on over to the iTunes store to leave a review for the podcast. It'll help others like you find a benefit from it. And look, it also helps with the rankings. Hashtag transparent AF. I appreciate you.